So glad you came to be here with us today. Before we take off, I want to introduce you to some folks. Boys, have you got my picture of Luke? Put Luke up there if you would, please. Is that a dude or what? I love Luke. Luke and his family are part of our church here. And I was going to wear my Luke shirt today because I'm part of Luke's troop. I'm one of the lucky few. Today is a world Down syndrome celebration today, that nationally, I mean globally. And I want to tell you something, these are precious people. I love these folks. They, they have blessed my life so much. I've been so blessed everywhere I've been to have these dear folks in my church. My first church, my running partner was a fellow in, tw- in his 20s. name was Calvin. He had Down syndrome. I had the best time with him. We just ran together. And uh, Calvin was, he was always laughing. Nothing ever bothered him. He was so happy. And I'd often think, who, who's the disabled one here? I, I just love these folks dearly. These are special people God's blessed us with. And so we're celebrating that. We're blessed at our church to have these dear folks. And we're hoping before long to crank up our, we have a ministry here that works all during the week with folks like this. We're hoping to get that cranked back up again. I curse COVID long for the day. We get back to normal, get back to helping people again. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. I'm going to send, I've changed the scripture. I know you're not supposed to, but I've changed the scripture. That verse in Revelation that says the devil and the beast and the false prophet were thrown into hell. Now there's four of them. COVID's going in there too. So I'm going to throw them all in there one day and be done with them. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something. I, I lost a great hero this week. I think America lost a great patriot this week. I've followed Dick and Rick Hoyt for years. I love them dearly. I'm convinced that the breakdown in our nation is a breakdown of fatherhood. And we are suffering terribly from fatherhood meltdown in this nation in the last 50 years. And I believe the cure for the nation is for fatherhood to be healed again. What's the last promise God made his people in the Old Testament? You might know, book of Malachi, I will turn the hearts of the fathers back toward their children. That's the last promise he made in the Old Testament. I will help men get their priorities straightened out again and get their families first. And no man in this nation for the last years has promoted fatherhood more than Dick Hoyt. I love him dearly. He's retired military, Lieutenant Colonel, 1962, Rick, Dick had a son, and that son was born severely disabled. And doctors told Dick and his wife, said, he'll never walk, he'll never speak, he'll never be able to do anything. Put him in an institution, let them take care of him, and you go live your life. Dick was defiant. He said, God gave me that son, and he's going to be my son, and I'm going to be a father to him. And he retired from the military. He would have been a general if he'd have stayed in. He retired from the military to love his son. And he became a picture, the picture of fatherhood for so many in the nation. Uh, and this boy who has never spoken a word, he's 50 some years old, can't do much anything. But he got with an engineer and found a way that through a computer, this boy could talk. And he could tap words out on a computer and they could communicate. It, they weren't going to let him go to school. He, Dick got him in school, said, I'll sit with him every day. Graduated high school, graduated from Boston University and got his master's degree from Boston University because of the love of a father who would invest his life in a son. I think here was 1977. He said, Dad, I wish, uh, wish we could do athletic things like other fathers and dads. Well, you can't take him hunting or fishing, but they found some. And that was when Dick put his son in a wheelchair and pushed him five miles in a charity race to raise money. And that night his son told him, said, I've never enjoyed life more. I felt like we're a father-son now. That was the first of over a thousand races they competed in. They finished the Boston Marathon 33 times. Him pushing his son in a wheelchair. 
they completed the greatest race in America, the Ironman in Hawaii. You swim over a mile. He pulled him in a boat swimming. You get, all, you get out of that. You ride a bicycle for 112 miles. He did that with the boy on the handlebars. Then you run 26 plus miles. He did that pushing the boy in a wheelchair. I believe the year was 99 when they covered, they diagonal at America. They covered 3,700 miles in 45 days running and biking. And he's just been the champion in our nation for men to turn their hearts back toward their children. Of course, he passed away this week. It was a great loss, I think. But uh, I, we need men like, listen, with all the things we hear that are bad in America, you need to see some of the things that are good in this nation. You know, the folks that are doing good, they don't get the news time. But there's a lot of, I brought a little clip. I want you to be blessed by Dick and his son, Rick. Fellas, if you'll hit that.
Isn't that good? Now that, uh, you don't see that kind of stuff on Jerry Springer the night of the news. A lot of good stuff happening out there. That's the heart of God for children and for fathers to turn their hearts back. I never see Dick and Rick, and I've, I've followed them for years, that I don't think of Deuteronomy 131. The Lord has carried you as a father carries his son, which is why you have come this far. And that's a great picture, not only of what we need in this nation, but it's a great picture of the love of God that'll go to any length. I'll tell you this personally. I hope this don't offend you. Uh, once in a while, I pray, well, a lot when I'm praying, I'll just, I'll just smile and say, thank you for loving your handicapped children, of which I'm speaking of me. And uh, I promise you, I'm not a superstar. As Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's been the kindness of God. All righty. I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We started last week talking about healing your soul, taking care of your soul. We have got to take care of our souls. I told you last week we have built a culture that is hell on the human soul. We are beating ourselves up. And this culture is rough on people. I told you the statistics from Harvard Health about the condition of our souls in this land. I want you, if you didn't hear last week, I want you to go back and listen to it because this is one three or four week flowing teaching from scripture on how to live healthy right here. And, and counselors would call it good mental health, emotional health. The Bible calls it soul care or soul health. And uh, we're dwelling on one passage and, and this is, I want you to get this promise in your heart from Jesus for everybody that wants it. Everybody wants to follow him. It's in Matthew 11. And I want you to read a few verses here where Jesus said this. He said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. We don't use those terms. We'd say burned out, broken, had all you could take. I want you to come to me if life has beat you up, if you're broken. And the Bible said this, come unto me and I will give you what? What does Jesus give? Restoration. He said, I'll heal you. Not just a nap. I'll restore your soul. I'll heal your soul. I'll heal your broken emotions. I'll heal you mentally. Jesus said this, take my, walk with me, take my yoke and learn from me. Dear ones, believers should learn from Jesus. We've got to start learning from Jesus. We've learned enough from Jerry Springer and the media. We've got to start learning from Jesus. He said, learn from me. He said, I am humble. I'm lowly and meek in soul. I'm humble. And you will find restoration and healing for your souls. How many of you would like to find a healthy, healed, happy soul? Jesus promised it right here. And then one of the greatest promises in the Bible, verse 30. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. You won't be broken. You won't be worn out. Now, these are some, this is one of the greatest promises. There's nothing about eternal life right there. These verses won't get you into heaven. These verses will get heaven into you on this planet. And how desperately we need this in our generation. You know what's happening in our land today. And the anger and the bitterness and the quitting and the weariness and the had all I can take this. That's our land right now. We need a healed soul. Let me, let, me, let me say this again. I want to review a little bit. You can only enjoy your life and contribute to other people's lives from a healthy soul. When you're burned up and mad about everything and disgusted and weary and worn out, you're not going to enjoy your life and you can't help other folks much. Much. We've got to live from a healthy soul to have an abundant life and to help other people. And what did Jesus say? Walk with me and learn and you'll live from a healed, healthy soul. And I mentioned several things to you last week. We learned from the life of Jesus. No one slow down. 
not even the rats are winning the rat race. Nobody should live like we're living in this land. Number two, I told you to simplify your life. Simplify your life. Number three, learn how to properly pronounce the word no. And learn how to say it to people. You're either going to learn to say no or you're going to crack up being a psych ward. Number three, I'm a number four, unplug. There is life. There is life after media. I'm not saying you can't. Well, if you want to live a great life, just throw the thing in the garbage. But, but you just, our souls don't feed on media. Our souls are wounded by media. Number five, get outside where God puts you to start with. God created man and he put him he put him in a garden, not a shopping mall, not a massage parlor, not a beer joint. He didn't put him in a house, put him in a garden. And number six, be kind to yourself. Quit beating yourself. Other people are going to beat you up enough. Don't beat yourself up. And I said this to you last week, radical. If a weekend away would fix it, you'd have done that. If a minor change would fix it, you'd have fixed it. I want you to be radical enough to do whatever it takes to have the best life possible for you and your family. Sometimes you have to get radical. All right, today we're going to talk about when life beats you up. When life beats you up. And I want, we're going to look at a man who got beat up pretty bad in life and it messed his life up. But also we're going to look at how God healed him. And anytime you see this in the Bible, this is not just a history lesson. This is the father teaching me and you how to live. Won't you turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. You can go back and find the Samuels. Then there'll be the Kings. If you see the Chronicles, we've gone a little too far. 1 Kings chapter 19. Let me tell you who we're dealing with here and where he's at in his life. We're dealing with a man named Elijah. Has anybody heard, ever heard of Elijah? Elijah the prophet. What do you know about Elijah? I consider him one of the two or three toughest men in the Bible. He may be the toughest man in the Bible. I mean, he is a redneck prophet. I mean, he, he makes John Wayne settle down. And uh, Elijah was a powerful prophet. He had the touch of God on his life. His name, Elijah, is two compound Hebrew words. Eli means my God is. Jah, you recognize as the shortened form of Jehovah. So his name was my God is Jehovah. And he was a great follower of God. But he was, uh, he was rough. God, he was rough. He, he, he was sarcastic. He was just rough. And he, he was no holds barred in your face. Here we go. Let me catch up where we're at right here. He'd just been through a, an encounter in life. He went into the president's office, the king's office, and called him out and said, you have ruined this nation with your sinful lifestyle. And the guards were scared to touch him because even the soldiers were scared of him. And uh, he called the whole nation together and called them out and said, you're dying because you're in sin. And he said, we're going to have a contest. If you remember Mount Carmel. And he said, he built an altar and he prayed and called fire down. Remember that? Called fire down on the altar, burned it up. The people repented. And then there were 850 lying preachers that the huzzy Jezebel queen had put in there. He, he said, bring me a sword, killed every one of them. I'm telling you, this dude, when he went to town, he went to town. He redneck. And what, he may be the toughest man in the Bible. Maybe him and John the Baptist compete, maybe David, but this dude's rough. You say, well, people like that don't get discouraged and broken. You listen to me. There's never been a man or woman born on this earth that can't be broken somewhere. I don't care how tough you are. Life will beat you up. I've seen strong, strong type A leaders broken over what's going on in their lives. And dear ones, you, you've heard this. 
greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You ever heard that? It's true. The Bible says that. But let me tell you something. Greater is he that's in this world than you by yourself. I don't care how tough you are, Rambo. Life will get you one day. And it got this man. And after this great victory, he just got done turning the nation around, cleaning out the king, putting to death the false prophets. He's on a roll. But you know, you're sort of busy through those times right there. A lot going on at the office. Chapter 19, verse one, Ahab, who was the king, told Jezebel, that wicked huzzy wife of his. Now for my spiritual people, I know there's a spiritual element here, but we're going to talk about the natural today. All that Elijah had done, how he had executed her prophets, they were her preachers, with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, verse two, saying, let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. All right, she gets word that he has cleaned house. She sends a messenger to him and she said, you go tell him he will be dead by this time tomorrow. I'm killing him. All right, I read this as a young man. I thought the man just whooped the entire nation. He just killed 850 line preachers. Surely he can handle one Jezebel queen hussy. You think. Why would a man run from one woman when he just whooped 850 false preachers? I understand. <laughs> Verse three, he saw that he arose and ran for his life. Are you telling me that maybe the toughest man in the Bible is running from one woman? He sure is. There you go. Let's read. He ran for, watch what, there's, I, I cannot overemphasize how strong this man was. When false prophets were praying and their prayers weren't answered, he's sitting in a long chair, drinking Diet Coke, mocking them. Saying, might ought to call a little louder. He might be on vacation. How you got on vacation? This dude's tough. And he is running from a woman because of what's going on. And again, I know there's a spiritual element. Verse four. He went a day's journey into the, into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed, finally, now he's going to pray, that he might die. He said, that's enough. I can't take no more. Now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. What has happened to this powerful man? Verse five, he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up, rise and eat. He looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals, a jar of water. He ate, drank, lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. The journey's too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food. He traveled 40 days, 40 nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. And he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Can I, can I take a time out here? I maybe think God asked something for information's sake. He wasn't asking for information's sake. He said, I have been very, here's his answer to God. What am I doing here? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. I've loved you. The children of Israel have turned from you, forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I am the only one left and they want to take my life. What has happened to this man right here? The circumstances of life just beat the pudding out of him. And here's what we find. Now the man's got a broken, worn out, tired soul. And uh, let me tell you what we learned from this right here. I'll give you seven signs from scripture of a weary soul. You can call it burnout. You can call it come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You can call it being broken. But a very powerful man who was very confident and very bold found himself absolutely broken. Not in his spirit, in his soul. And uh, 
Let me give you seven signs of a broken soul. Number one, you just want to get away from everything. You just want to run away. I hear, I hear, why is Jimmy Buffett a national hero? What is it? What is going on in our land that people just want to run from their relationships? And I got to quit my job. And, and there was, the running is a sign of a worn out soul. I mean, not just running. He, he just wanted to get away from everything. Let me read something to you. Another great man in the Bible who was very powerful. Matter of fact, these guys weren't weenies. Is weenie still a word? I don't know. He killed a lion as a boy with his hands. At 14 years old, he killed the most powerful warrior in the world, Goliath. This dude's tough. But he reached a place in his life where the circumstances of life so broke him that he prayed a prayer in Psalm 55 that says this, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and find rest. I would go off into the wilderness and just live there. You ever thought like that? Yes. You ever been to where you say, if I could just get out of here. What is this thing with people wanting to go to Montana and set them up a camp and hide? If we could just get away from it all. There was wanting to run away from our commitments and our families and life. That is a sign of a worn out weary soul. Number two, isolation. Do you notice he took a servant with him and he got to a certain place in his life. He said to his servant, I don't want anybody around me. You get away from me. You know, some people start wanting to get, just be by themselves. There's nothing wrong with seeking God in solitude. There's nothing wrong. We need to get alone and seek Jesus. Listen, me being alone with God, that's called solitude. Me being alone with me, that's called isolation. That ain't good. Why are people just wanting to get, uh, why, why is it that we want to just lock the door, not answer the phone, plop on the couch, eat every Cheeto in the house, and binge on them stupid movies? What's wrong with us? What is it that we can't stand people anymore? Uh, that you say, well, people are stupid. No, 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 no. I mean, but everyone's wanting to run from people. That's a weary soul. That's a worn out soul that just wants to get away from people. Number three, deep discouragement and depression. I told you last week, Harvard Health, 25% of all middle-aged women are on antidepressant medication. That's not the ones that are depressed. That's how many are taking medication for it. Depression has become the scourge of our land today. What's this? Look with me in verse four. This great man... He went a day's journey into the wilderness, get set down under a broom tree, and he prayed, I just want to die. He said, I have had enough. Just take my life. How do you get so depressed and so discouraged that you don't even want to live anymore? This, this man just turned the nation around. He could call down fire with his prayers. Now, why is he wanting to die? You know, is it when the soul gets worn out, you don't even want to go, you don't even want to try anymore. And he was so depressed and so miserable. I'm of the opinion, and I'm 63 years old, and uh, I've watched the mood of a nation change in my lifetime. There's a heaviness that's come across this nation in my lifetime. And what used to be normal in this nation is considered very happy now. And uh, there's a depression and a heaviness that's come across the land. Number four, see if you've ever seen this before. A critical negative spirit. Do you notice in verse 10 when God asked him in verse 9, he said, what are you doing here? The Lord didn't need an answer. What he meant was, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing here? And what, did, what was his answer? He didn't talk about himself. He said, everybody's rotten. I'm the only one that's got it right. I'm the only one that loves you. Everybody's turned from you. The whole world sucks. Everybody's wrong. The churches ain't doing right. The dogs are even going to the dogs. <laughs> and he goes off on this tired about how rotten everything is. Well, was it that rotten? 
Let me tell you something. Later on when he's praying, the Lord said to him, so you're the only one, huh? He said, I got 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to that fool Baal. He said, I got thousands of people that love me and serve me. I've heard people say, all fathers are, are just nuts today. You got guys like Dick Hoyt. Let me tell you something. For every fool, there's a lot of heroes. A lot of men still doing what they promised they'd do. And we need to cheer for them. But when you begin to see everything through a negative critical lens and, and everything's rotten and everybody's bad, and there's something wrong right here. It's not out here, dear ones. It's right here. That's a weary, broken soul that begins to see the worst. The Bible's very clear. 1 Corinthians 13, love always sees the best in other people. How many of you know if Jesus were to run from people that were in trouble, we would all be in trouble. He saw me at my worst and loved me and said, I can see him at his best. That's what love does. That's what faith does. All right, let me move on here. Number five, you're mad at God. He's mad at God. When God asked him, what are you doing here? Who does he go off on? You know what he said to God? You are not doing it like I want it done. Why have you let this happen? Why is this going on in my life? Why would you be mad at the one who loves you more than anybody's ever loved you? And the only one that can ultimately heal your everything. But I, I, I heard a preacher the other day telling people that they need to, one of the things we should do is forgive God. I'm telling you, preachers have lost their freaking minds in this nation. And yes, I said freaking in church. Are you telling me God has sinned? Dear ones, you don't need to forgive God. You need to run to God. We've lost our minds in this nation. And here he is. He's complaining and whining. Apparently God wasn't running the earth like he wanted it. Let me make an announcement. There's two things you need to know. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you ain't him. He, he knows what he's doing. He really does. And number six, this is what you're seeing now. You start losing hope. You're losing hope. Please listen to me. Hope is the fuel of the human soul. You can't live without hope. Nobody can. I, I've said it often. I didn't, it's not original with me, but it is so true. You can live 40 days without food, eight days, seven, eight days without water, about eight or nine minutes without air. You can't live one second if you don't have hope. Hope fuels, if you can't wake up, if you can't think it is going to be better tomorrow, you can't live. God designed our souls to run on hope. You know why? Because he is the God of hope. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you hear him talk to you and you'll be full of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is the identifying mark of the Holy Spirit according to the Bible? People have hope about their families. Hope about their futures. Hope about tomorrow. Listen, you lose hope. Our, <clears throat> you ever heard of an egg-sucking dog? Y'all probably ain't old enough. Used to have egg-sucking dogs out in the country. The devil is a hope-sucking fool. And he wants to suck the hope out of your life. And he'll do it by pointing things out to you and keeping them on your mind all the time. But this man lost, he lost hope. He said, he said take my life to the end out there. And people lose hope personally. They give up on themselves. I'd, don't be like Simon Peter who said, I had my chance and blew it. I'm going back to what I was doing before. Jesus come find you and say, oh no, I don't give up on folks that fast. Put him right back in business again. They're giving up on their families. I have never seen a family situation he couldn't redeem. I've never seen a marriage couldn't be fixed. And I've seen some messes. 
and I've seen the miracle worker. What has happened in America that our God has to have counseling and, and, and drugs? And I'm not against all that stuff. What happened to the mighty God of Israel who could part the Red Sea for people? What happened to the God that could change any heart? He's still here. We just need to quit relying on all our stuff and get back to where I need thee every hour. Begin to believe him. Let hope come back into hearts. He's the God of the future. Let me point out one other thing that's missing in his, that not only is he doing that, let me tell you, what did you see missing in his life that you saw before? If you knew his life, there were two things in his life that aren't here now. One is the peace of God and one is the joy of God. It was the, listen, the marks of the kingdom of God are joy and peace. And this man had lost his peace. His mind was a wreck. His emotions were upside down. There was no quietness inside of him. And he didn't look very happy to me. How many of y'all looked very happy to y'all? He looked about as happy as the deacons at a prayer meeting. I mean, he was, he was tore up here. He's lost the blessing of God, which is the spirit of God in this life. Well, this can happen. And I, I want to say it again. This happened to anybody. Now, let me help you with something here. You say, well, it was, look what he was going through. We have got to get off this. Look what I'm going through stuff. Now, I'm not, I'm not insensitive to people. I care about people, but I'm going to tell you something. If what's going on around me is bigger than the God that's within me, I'm gone. I'm convinced that the God that lives in me is bigger than anything that can go on around me. And sometimes we just need to hear it greater. He's greater than anything in my life. And let me give you a physical example of this. We've had a man here a couple of times. I love him dearly. His name is Colonel Norm McDowell. Norm's retired. He taught in the Air Force Academy and in the, the War College. But Norm was shot down over Vietnam uh, and his plane was shot down over Vietnam. He was captured by the Viet North Vietnamese. He spent seven years in a prison in North Vietnam. And I talked to him, but privately went to lunch with him. And he said, there's some things I don't tell when I'm talking to crowds. He said, they beat me mercilessly in that place. He said, it was awful. He said, because I was a black man, they singled me out. And they picked on me and said, your, your nation's just using you. And they, he said, they offered me a ticket anywhere in the world and cash money. If I would denounce America, they'd turn me loose. And he told him, I'm not about to do it. And you know what that got me? He said, we were cold in the winter. We were, we're burning up in the summer. He said, I almost starved to death. He said, I lived on about two handfuls of dirty rice a day. And I don't mean Bojangles dirty rice. I mean rocks in it. He said, that's how I broke a tooth out. And he said, those are terrible circumstances I was living under. But he said, I knew this. He said, I knew that you got to know this case. He said, I knew this. Take away everything I've got. You can't take Jesus and hope out of my heart. And he, he was a, he believed in God. And he said, not only am I going to believe God to get me out of here and I'm going to believe God that I will see my family again. I am in here as the senior officer and my job is to keep the faith and the hope of these men up. And he went through, listen, he didn't go through 40, 48 hours, a few weeks. He went through seven long years. Some of the most, he went through circumstances me and you've never known. And he went through the whole thing, believing God. And God did bring him out. And he's been a great testimony. Dear ones, it's not your circumstances. You can have faith and hope no matter what's going on around you. Because he is that big. And we've got to get back to believing that he's there. All right, now you ready? In this same passage where we see what, what broke this man and how life beat him up so bad, and we see the condition he's in, we also find how God healed him. And what God did to heal him in this thing. And if you'll read it through, we're not going to read the rest, but if you read it through, you find out that God not only restored his life, he not only healed him, he put him back in action and he became a force for greatness again. 
He, you know, he called AAA and he got his tire flat fixed and he was on the road again. God fixed this man. Now, dearest, we're going to look at what God did to fix this man. Guess why we're going to look at it? Guess why? Because this is the Bible. This is God teaching me how to fix my soul when he gets here. This is him teaching me how to do this. All righty. I'm going to show you five things that God did to heal his life. Four of them are not that big a deal. One is the big deal that you've got to do. Um, I'm going to sound like I'm trying to weasel out of this thing for a minute because I am. Because a lot of times, you know, preachers get to bring good news to people and they love doing that. But once in a while you have to bring news and you know people are going to go, what? What? I don't bother me. I love aggravating people. But the answer is not a pill. The answer is not a prayer. Dear ones, some, please listen. What I, I'm going to teach you something great here. There is nothing that our great God wouldn't do for any person if they would meet him on his terms. He's not going to fix you the way you want it done. Brother Brian, please pray for me. All right, all right let, let me help you here. If you're hurting bad because you're hitting yourself in the head with a stick and you want me to pray for you, I ain't got a prayer to work. I got some good prayers, but I ain't got one for that. I right, work, work with me here. Work with me here. You, you want to quit hurting and you want me to pray for you. What's the only way you're going to quit hurting? I could pray for you till Jesus gets back, but you're going to keep hurting till you quit hitting yourself in the head with that stick. Do I make this stuff deep or what? I was talking with a friend recently. She said, do you do counseling? I said, no, it never works when I do it. And people always leave mad when I counsel. And I don't take long. She sent me the greatest teaching clip on counseling in America. It's just five minutes long. Bob Newhart. Does anybody remember Bob Newhart? He's a psychiatrist. He's in his office. A lady walks in. She said, Dr. Newhart? He said, yes. She said, I'm here. He said, oh, sit down. And uh, he, he says, let me explain my billing policy first. He said, I charge a dollar a minute for the first five minutes. Everything after that's free. He says, is that okay? She says, great. It's great. He said, I wouldn't say that yet. And uh, he said, and I don't make change and I don't take credit cards. And um, he said, go. She said, what? He said, what's your problem? She said, well, I have this terrible fear of being buried alive in a box. It haunts me day and night. She said, I can't, I can't go in a tunnel. I can't go in an elevator. I can't. And she just goes on and on about her life is tormented about this fear of being buried in a box. And she said, it's ruining my life. And he listens. He says, okay. He said, get out your pad. I'm, I'm going to give you two words. She gets her pencil ready. And, and he says, stop it. She said, what? He said, stop it. She said, well, what do you mean? He said, S-T-O-P-I-T. It's not Yiddish, lady. Stop it. And she was offended by what he said. He said, you got two more minutes. He said, what else? She said, I get in these toxic relationships with men and it's ruining my life. He said, stop it. And on and on this went. And finally, she just got mad. said, I don't like this kind of counseling. He said, good, time's up. That'll be $5. You know what? They sent me that as a funny thing. I woke up about five o'clock one morning, just laying there thinking about it. And I said, you know what? That's God. That's God. There was, there was a time to listen to what, the, did you think he was going to help you the way you wanted him to? Let me tell you something. You know what we really need to do instead of having counseling and long hours of discussion with mama and all this? You know what we really need to do a lot of times? 
Just stop it. Thank you, Jesus, for making it so simple I can understand it. All right, I'm going to show you five things the king did to help him that he will do to help you. And remember, if you don't like what it says, Brian didn't write it. Take it with the man who wrote it. All right, let's just pause for a minute before we look at these. What do you think God would do for a man that's in this broke down condition? How do you think the Lord would help him? Counseling? Prayer? <clears throat> Watch with me. Number one. Turn with me. Verses five and six. As he lay and slept under a broom tree, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again, did it again. The angel said, Eat. Number one, um, you need to rest. Would you, do you want me to pray for you or something? You need to rest. What did God tell this man to do? He made him go to sleep. He said, I want you to rest. He said, How's that going to fix your problems? You'd be surprised what a good night's sleep would do for your problems. Now remember this, I told you last week, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be perfected completely. You cannot separate the three elements of humanity. Dear ones, when your body is worn out and you haven't taken care of it and you haven't rested and you've been running on empty, your emotions will go crazy and your problems will be magnified. Now, I learned this as a young man. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned that people who are so, it's, it's terrible and I want to meet with you and I want to meet with the Dickens and I want to meet right now. And something would happen and, and uh, we couldn't meet and I'd call them the next day and I'd say, okay, we're ready to meet. And they'd say, oh, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. You know what happened? Nothing, nothing changed. They just got a good night's rest and something straightened out. You'd be, I told you you wouldn't like it. You'd be surprised if folks would just quit wearing this body out and wearing their souls out and started moving slower and resting, how that you'd see things differently in life. Who created this body right here? Who created this mind and this heart and this soul? Who created all this stuff? He created it to run a certain way. I got a friend of mine goes to church here. He's got a Toyota. He just got rid of a Toyota. He bought it new. He drove it 450,000 miles. He said, I didn't know they could go that far. He took good care of it. Dear ones, you're designed to run with joy and peace and prosperity and a fruitful life till the day you see Jesus. The days of our lives are 80 years. You should be able to run all the way through there if you take care of your equipment. All right. Okay, that didn't do much for you. Maybe number two will. Number two, look with me in chapter five, uh, verse five. He lay and slept under a broom tree. An angel touched him, said, get up and eat. He looked and there by his head was cake baked with coals, jar of water. He ate, drank, laid down again. The angel of the Lord came and said, eat, eat. This journey is great. Number two, if you didn't like the rest, number two is diet. I ain't had an amen for the last six minutes. What did God, this man's in a, he's in a mess. He needs help. What did God tell him? What did he tell him? Start eating like I tell you to. Okay, number three. <laughs> Finally, medical science is catching up with the Bible and people are starting to say, we're killing our kids with sugar. I know this doesn't go over well. Let me tell you something. Your body, your mind, your soul, everything's connected. And, uh, can I hear a three cheers for more Brussels sprouts and less Fruit Loops? 
I'm going to keep trying. I'll find something y'all like. <laughs> so number one, number two didn't suit you too good. Rest and diet. How about number three? Watch what God did to this man. Verse eight. So he arose and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the mountain of God. God told him, eat good. Meet me on that mountain. What's the next thing the Lord had him do? He put on his hiking shoes and he traveled 800 miles through the wilderness and he hiked through the wilderness. Okay, if you didn't like numbers one and two, how about exercise? <laughs> Outdoors. You don't need to be riding on a bicycle with some chick from New York screaming in your face. <laughs> and paying her to do it. Have you lost your mind? Once in a while, somebody comes out to our place and, and, and inevitably they'll end up saying, it is so peaceful out here. Well, number one is prayer at that place. But number two, we live the way God meant for people to live. I've learned you cannot separate the body, the soul, and the spirit. You got to take care of all your equipment. All right, we're not having any fun yet, but maybe we'll get to having some fun here. Just hang on. Dear ones, I would really encourage you. You'd be surprised if we would say, I'm going to quit letting Americana tell me how to live and I'm going to let this book tell me how to live. You'd be surprised how you'd say, God, this is so much better. This is life right here. I told you a few weeks ago, my daughter and a dear friend of ours, they were down at Emerald Isle and they decided they're going to get up before daylight and go watch sunrise. That's a free show. It's good. I think they trespassed to get where they were at, but they found them someplace and they sat there and they watched the sun. And she said, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Let me tell you what it was. It was healing. It was refreshing to the soul. And it's free. And he puts that show on every day. And again, I told you, you can't, you, you, if you're not an early riser, he'll do it at the end of the day if you've got to get up late. Just look the other side of the earth over there. It was, we really need to get this stuff straightened out. All right, number four. Okay, we're going to get into something spiritual now so you'll feel like you can do this. Number four, you've got to silence the racket to get healed. Amen. You cannot get healed with the racket. One of the strangest passages in Scripture, verses 11 and 10, he, he sent him to this mountain. And verse 11, he said, Go out and stand on that mountain before the Lord. The Lord passed by. A great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke rocks. That's a strong wind to break rocks. Before the Lord, but God was not in the wind. Literally, God did not speak to him in the racket. All right, the Bible says this. After the wind, an earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a tremendous fire. God was not in the fire. But after the fire, a quiet voice came to him. And there was what we hear right there. You got a quiet, he could not hear the voice of God because the racket around him was louder than the quiet voice of God. Do you notice it said a still small voice? Hebrew is literally a quiet whisper. He could not hear God's healing voice because of all the racket that was around him. And he had to silence the racket to hear God speak, which is where he was healed. All right, we have two kinds of racket in our lives that are keeping us from being healed. Number one is internal racket. The other one's external racket. And you got two kinds of rackets on the inside of you that you need to silence. Number one is emotional racket. When your emotions are upset and torn up and hollering at you and screaming at you and you ain't putting up with this no more and you've had all you can take and they don't, he don't appreciate me and nobody understands me, you're in trouble. And you're not going to find healing with those emotions roaring on the inside. Dear ones, our nation has become controlled by emotions. 
You don't believe it? Look at the last election. That was an emotion-driven election by both sides. Both sides were deceived through the whole thing. You, if, you're, if you're led by upset emotions, you are headed over the cliff. Emotions are wonderful. I've got some, believe it or not. Emotions are wonderful. They bring joy. They bring proper anger. But emotions out of control will ruin your life and tear your soul up. And we need to tone it down in this land. You got to get your emotions under control. I've seen so many homes wrecked by out of control emotions. And we got to settle it down. Got to get quiet. Let me tell you what I've learned. When you're screaming on the outside, keep your mouth shut on the outside. I'm asked for you. Actually, that's for me if you'll do it. We're speaking out of emotions today, not wisdom. And I, here's what I've learned personally. When I get upset or bothered or you know what I've learned? Be quiet and sit down and wait till the storm passes. That's what he did. He waited till the storm. He said, I got to get this mess quiet. I can't hear God like this. Number two, uh, mental racket. Head, I call it head racket. When you're thinking about it, you ever, lay, you ever had anybody say this? I went, I laid down and the more I thought about it, the matter I got. Why do you, stop it. Why do you do that to yourself? Dear ones, the answers to life are not in your head. You don't have the answers. This man's got the answers. You can't hear God while your head's racing and you're going over it and over it and you're trying to figure out a way. How, are we going, how am I going to make this happen? I've got to figure out a way. I thought the Lord was your shepherd. You need to look somebody bigger than you, but you're not going to hear God as long as your head's racing. You need to tell your intellect, stand down. He is Lord. He'll lead me. Then we have external racket in our lives too. <clears throat> Why would you listen to your girlfriend give you advice on marriage when she's been divorced five times? Are you nuts? As the old song, Vietnam era song said, he can't run his own life. I'd be danged if he's running mine. Why would you listen to Jerry Springer tell you anything? There's, we got so much opinion and racket out here that doesn't line up with this word. A lot of times when I pray the first about my nation or anything, the first thing I'll say is, every voice silent, you alone be heard. You know, the voice of God is healing. People drive you nuts. You need to silence the voice of others. <clears throat> I'm going to harp on this till I heal you. You need to turn off media. There's no, your soul will not be healed in the media. Your soul will be aggravated. It'll be confused. You're going to get madder. Why you would do this to yourself? All right, let me give you an illustration. If you're hurting because you're hitting yourself in the head with a stick and you want me to pray for you, it ain't going to do no good. Dear ones, turn it. You say, well, if I live like this, I'll be a weirdo. Join us happy, healthy, holy, on the way to glory, weirdos. Life is good out there in the wilderness, dear ones. I'm telling you, I would rather listen to a cardinal sing than any newscaster in America. That was good right there, wasn't it? Turn off the racket. Turn the choir off. What does the scripture teach me right here? You have to get quiet and hear the voice of God. I told you last week, 6,000 years of recorded history, 5,950 of them. This was a quiet earth. This has become a racket earth. You got to get quiet to find this. Mickey Evans, my dear friend from Duncan Camp, who started that camp and has seen so many lives changed. 
It's a nine-month program where men that have ruined their lives with alcoholism and drug addiction get their lives put together. I want you to listen to what Mickey said. We bring these boys out here to the swamps of Florida. We isolate them. No media, no cell phones. We let them work. We love on them. And we let them be quiet for nine months in the hope that they'll hear God speak for five minutes. And if they hear God speak, their lives are healed. Then there's healing in the voice of God. And, and I know all these other things I've said are important, but this is the big one right here. The man heard the voice of God. He put himself in a position to hear it. He got his body straightened out and then he got in a quiet place where he could hear God speak. And if you want to read the story, when God spoke to him, he was transformed. He was healed. His energy came back. Mr. Negative, everything's rotten, became Mr. Faith and Hope. And he was back on track again because he heard the voice of God. There's such healing in the voice of God. It's, it's just the ultimate soul healing. I, I want you to, one of my favorite all-time verses, let, let me quote this to you. My son. I love it when he talks to me like that. He didn't say, hey, fool. He says, my son. My son, listen to my words. Turn your heart toward what I have to say. Give attention to what I'm saying to you, son. It is life to everything you have and it is healing to every part of your being. How many times have I been in a tough spot going through things and I said, I do not need to think about this. I'm having a thinking don't work. I sure don't need to call nobody and I don't need to sit here and burn. I need to go to that cemetery where I meet God. I've got a country cemetery. I go to, I'll just walk amongst those stones and tell him you are wonderful and you are great and I adore you. And before long, I hear the voice of God. You know how I hear it? A quiet comes over me. And all of a sudden that junk don't bother me anymore. And all that aggravation is replaced by a sweetness. And then I leave and I'm restored. Dear ones, that's exactly what the man did. He went to a place where he could hear God speak. He silenced all the junk around him and the voice of God healed his soul. He said, well, when was that, Brother Brown? 2002? Thursday. Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to hear the voice of God. Matter of fact, let me tell you what Jesus did every morning of his life. Let me, I'm affectionate to say something deep here. Okay, you ready? If Jesus needed to hear the voice of God to live, guess what Brian needs to do? Mark 135, first verse in the Bible I ever memorized. Jesus rose early in the morning, departed to a lonely, quiet place, and there he met God. You, you need to, now listen, you don't need to have a quiet time so to like check it off on your envelope. You don't need to have a quiet time so God won't be mad at you. you. You need to have a quiet time because you need the life of God. You need to let him help you. If, if I don't take my medicine that my doctor prescribes for me, it don't hurt him. Then as you get along with God for you to hear his voice and find healing in his voice. And this was a, this was a healthy, happy, blessed life. I, I just cannot emphasize enough the voice of God is healing in this land. I'm, uh, I just want to give you a little, here's what I see right now. I'm watching Americans stumble and we're struggling through. We were not designed to struggle through. We're supposed to soar through. We're supposed to fly through. I'm watching most Christian programs in America become how to make it through these tough days and how to barely get by. That is unholy. You sp listen to me. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that people can watch you and say, I don't know what you got, but I need it. I can't shine unless I get fuel from somewhere else. 
All right, I'm going to tell you, one of your, I'm gonna, I want to look at one of your favorite, I bet you it's one of your favorite verses in the Bible. I bet you get this on your fridge there. You ever heard this verse? A smoking flax he will not quench. How many of you got that on your refrigerator? How many of you got it on a bracelet or something? How many of you even knew it was in there? When it's talking about the goodness of Jesus in the Bible, in the Gospels, in two places it says this. They, they, they looked at him and said, a smoking flax he will not quench. And they went, amen. I wonder what that means. That's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. It's one of the greatest truths on the earth. You know what a smoking flax is? Well, you didn't live back then. In their homes, they, they lit their homes with a little oil lamp. I've got one on my desk. A little oil lamp, a little ceramic oil lamp. You put olive oil in it because olive oil is very plentiful right there. And you have to have a wick if you're going to have something like that. So the wicks were outside. And they, they were called flax stalks. They just, like broom straw grows everywhere around here. They just grew everywhere. They were free. Just go ahead and get you one. So the lady of the house, she'd, go, she'd break off a, a stalk of flax, break off about four inches like that right there. She'd put it, there's a little tiny hole. You'd cram that thing down in the hole. It sticks up like that right there. And the other end sits down in the oil and you ignite. Then it saturates the flax wick and uh, you light it and it burns. That's your light. That's how they lit their homes back then. All right, once in a while, she'd get busy, wouldn't pay attention. She wouldn't keep oil in the lamp. Oh, remember, give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning. Okay, I keep forgetting y'all ain't 105. <laughs> but she had to keep oil in there. You don't keep pouring oil in there, guess what happens? The oil runs out and there's no fuel for the flax. Therefore, the light goes out. And what happens in an Israeli home back then, that flax will smoke instead of burn. And let me tell you something. They ain't no stink like smoking flax. It stinks terrible when the light goes out and the oil runs out. You see the picture here? And normally she'll just run over and grab the wick and throw it out the, you know, flax and throw it out the window and say, oh my goodness, nasty, open the doors here. And she'll just go out there and get another one and start over. So why did Jesus say a smoking flax he will not throw out the window? A smoking flax he will not quench. What's that got to do with life? Don't you see the picture? Dear ones, you're not the fuel. The Holy Spirit of God is supposed to fuel your life. Christ in you is the hope of glory, not you being tough. And I am the light of the world, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that I have to have to keep burning. What happens to a believer when the Spirit of God runs dry in their lives? They quit shining, then they start stinking. How many of ain't nothing stinks worse than a believer that has lost the touch of God on their lives? Are we having fun this morning or what? Nothing stinks worse than a believer who has lost the oil of the Spirit of God in their lives. And a lot of people say, kick them to the curb. I ain't having them kind of people in my church. Jesus says, no, no. A smoking flax I don't throw out the window. I heal smoking flaxes. I'll fill that vessel with oil again and I'll start it over. I mean, over and over and over in the Bible, there were great people who ran out of oil. They got away from God and they stunk the place up. Let's see, King David, Moses, Abraham, who lied about his wife to a king. Can we say Simon Peter 105 times in four chapters? Our God is the God who don't throw people away because they stink. He restores them and heals them. I don't know if you're stinking right now or not, but if you are, you need to do what he said. You need to get healed so you can shine again. He is the healer of the wounded soul. And how many, how many times have I, God, this is, I guess this is humiliate me day. Thanks. 
How many times have I been, I am going to straighten them out. <laughs> but I know, don't you open your mouth, you go to the graveyard. And I'll come away from that graveyard saying, he is so precious to me and I am glad I kept my mouth shut. You say, are you that weak? Yes. I'm going to write a song when it's going to sound like this. I need thee every hour. He is that good. Let's pray about this. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you and pray for everybody here. I don't know where we got this thing that we were supposed to be great people. Your word says we live on the fuel of God. We live on the spirit of God. Your word says we're just the wick. If there's any light in us, it's because of the oil of the spirit of God. That's why your word says over and over, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in a position to hear my voice and let me heal you. Dear Jesus, I pray for everybody in this room that these are just days where our land is beating a tar out of people. And I see people that resemble this great man in the Bible that are discouraged. They want to quit. They're weary. Lord Jesus, everybody gets like that once in a while. But thank God there is a healer and your voice is healing to the wounded soul. And I want to praise you today that you, a smoking flax, you will not quench. You do not throw people into garbage just because they run out of oil. You heal them and you start them over. And I praise you and thank you that there's healing in your voice. I pray for every person in this room. Whatever it takes, spirit, soul, and body, get your life in a position to live healed and hold strong before you. I want everybody in my church, I want them to live out of a healthy, strong, shining soul emotionally strong, mentally sharp, full of life and hope, so that as your word says, they will see you and wonder, what do you have? I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. In his precious name I pray, amen.